Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 10, powered by Instat Hockey. Offering a large data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy. We're uh, patiently waiting for Brad Allen to come on the show as well. He's just a little bit delayed. Uh, We're happy to bring on Jeff Kelty, Assistant General Manager of the Nashville Predators, to talk about some prospects in their system. And Jeff, thanks for coming on the show again. As always, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, first, because we didn't get a really chance to talk to you after the draft. It was actually a little bit busier, I think, the first year coming back on the floor. And wanted to ask you about your first round pick and Joachim Kemmel and get your thoughts on him, you know, going into the process of evaluating him in his draft year and then his progress so far this year in Liga. I mean, it's impressive to me, and I know this does happen, but when you have a, a kid who's played as a 17-year-old and an 8-year-old in the Finnish Elite League, it says something about his hockey sense and his preparation and his work ethic because the pro players won't tolerate it. Like, even if you're a highly skilled young player, if you're not pulling the rope like everybody else in a lot of different areas, they're going to let you know it. And the coaching staff, you know, just they're not going to tolerate that either. From your perspective of watching him through his draft season – what were the things that sort of jumped out to you that you thought these are the, maybe these are the main skills and maybe a couple of attributes that you thought are going to translate to the NHL and why he was a target of your guys in the first round? Well, he, his, his, his draft season last year in, in Finland, he, he got off to a, a really good start in the, uh, in the Finnish elite league. He was, I believe, leading the league in scoring, um, for for the first you know month or two months of the season, um, then he had an injury, uh, shoulder injury, where he was out for a bit, and then he went to the World Juniors, and then he came back. And the second half of the year, he cooled off a bit, um, but then he came back at the U teams and 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 played really well there and scored a lot there. Um, as far as his attributes go, um, the first thing he noticed is his shot. Um, you know that. I think that's a main reason why he scored the way he did last year in the men's league, uh, which is, as you said, not an easy thing to do. Um, but I think some of the other thing we, we really like his competitiveness. You know, he's not just a uh, a perimeter shooter per se. I mean, he can he can beat you from range. He likes to shoot off, you know, on the, the shooter side flank on the power play. But he'll he competes for pucks. He gets inside of defenders. Um, you know, he can make plays uh, in a lot of different areas. He can play in traffic. Um, you know, and, and he's not the biggest guy. He's about 5'11". So, you know, you got to have some of that spark and some of that competitiveness to you to to thrive in, in the men's league and the pro leagues. Uh, and we think he has that. So um, I think at this point, it's just a matter of, you know, continuing to mature his game. Like a lot of uh, good, young, offensive players, you know, there's there's the detail parts without the puck. There's the, the consistency parts. Um, and I think that'll come along here as, as he does mature. Uh, but his offensive skill set is very good. When you watch his game and some of the observations I saw is when he becomes really consistent off the puck in terms of, you know, his puck support and being in the right place. Um, and so much of the game, people start talking about, 
oh, players aren't fast enough. And I look at is how does he skate the game? Does he know where he needs to be in where he is on the ice is vastly more important to me than obviously, you know, how fast he skates, you know, from that respect is, is that something you guys are talking to him about? Is it like when you're always on the right side of the puck and you have good puck support, when you don't have the puck, when you get it back, you may end up being one of the first people to get your stick on that puck and then get back down the ice and either transport or make a, a give and go play and start to find time and space. Cause I think he does a really good job of seeing where the seams are and does a good job of looking at defensemen or defenders and his weight transfer. So he almost forces the defender to go in a direction they don't want to go. Um, and then he finds a, finds a way to get himself into a position then has, you know, can change angles. Uh, particularly when he's like not only shooting, but to present his stick as well. Well, I think one of the things that, uh, I mean, our, our development guys are, are working with him on, on all those things. You know, one of the things he mentioned in terms of kind of his play off the puck, I think that that's with young players, that's one of the things that you, that our development people and, and everybody in the organization is always focusing on, uh, you know, with any young player. Um, it's, it's being, you know, in the right position away from the puck. It's also, it's also working without the puck and, and tracking and, and, you know, all these young talented guys, they're, they're really good when they have it. Um, there's the other side of, of, uh, you know, of, of working to get it, you know? Um, so I think that those are things that we're constantly working with, but he, he is highly competitive and, and I, I do think he, he gets into the floor check and comes up with pucks and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, that's, that's what you need. Every team needs to be able to floor check, um, every team needs to be able to work without the puck. Um, and then for a guy like him, once he has it and once, you know, once his team has possession, he, he's a threat because of the plays he can make, but also the way he can really shoot the puck. So, um, you know, it's just the overall maturity that we talk about. Let's talk about Fedor Shvetskov. I'm interested in, in your opinion of him as well. It, and of course, it's unfortunate what's happening in Europe because it'd be great to see him obviously in some international Um but thoughts on him and his overall game away from the puck is that he reminds me of almost a prototypical Russian forward from the 70s and 80s in that he plays more of less of a, I guess, flashy style and more of, of a style that I would consider pro-ready in terms of just being responsible in a lot of different areas. And, you know, both Brad and I had talked to him going into, into the draft here and we both thought that this he may be one of the more complete players at his peer group. There's always obviously great room to improve, but I just thought he just played the game as we call the right way. Um, thoughts on how that's continued continuing to develop? Yeah, I think your description is is pretty good. He's he's very much a substance player. You know, he's not not the flashiest, but he's uh, uh, we we believe a natural centerman. He's played on the wing at times as well, but we believe he's a natural centerman. Um, you know, really good details to his game. Uh, his angles are, are really good. Um, he, he's often above the puck. He can make plays. Um, he can all, all, but also complement, um, you know, high-end wingers just because he kind of stabilizes everything. He's in a little bit of a different situation this year as a lot of the Russian players are. Uh, you know, we knew when we drafted him, he had two years left in his contract. He was in St. Petersburg, um, actually got moved to, to – um, to Spartak this this season, so he's kind of bounced between the BHL and the KHL as a lot of uh, a lot of these Russian guys do. 
you know, after you draft them. So that's not an ideal situation. Um, you know, he'll be, he'll play eight minutes in the KHL one day and then two days later he's in the VHL. So it's hard to get a consistent traction uh, in that sense. Um, and, and again, that's, that's where it is disappointing where you don't get to see him and save the world juniors, because if the Russians were in the world juniors, he'd probably be their top center man and, and, uh, and a real, be a real showcase situation for him and, and a real, you know, good stretch of hockey for him to play amongst his peers and, and, and uh, you know, with his peers and high level competition and all that. Um, so we won't get to see that, but the plan is to, to get him over here at the end of the year, his contract is up, uh, you know, in the spring and much like we did with Askarov, uh, the goaltender last year, our plan would be to bring him over right away, get him acclimated and he'll start to make his adjustment to North America next season. So, you know, you know, there'll be a little bit of a, uh, kind of getting him back on track once we get him here and getting him adjusted. But the foundation of the player is really good. And uh, we think we're going to have a really solid two-way sentiment, you know, when he's done developing. Do you think his transition to the American League will be a little bit easier? Because it's never easy, but easier because of the style he plays and his insistence upon being responsible without the puck. And he may become a real favorite of the goal scoring wingers and the high skilled wingers, because they know that he's going to be able to back them up and take care of them. If things break down. Yeah. I think the nature of his games definitely uh, probably lends itself pretty well to, to the game here. Um, you know, if he were, if he were playing in the, in the CHL right now, uh, I think, you know, he'd, he'd be a top, top player, um, you know, be, because of his ability, but also because of, of, you know, the way he plays the game, I think it'll fit in well. So it'll be just, you know, but it's still an adjustment. It's coming all the way over here. It's, it's, you know, the, the ranks are, are still smaller. Um, you know, it, it's a different style of play. There's a different culture, all those things. There'll be some adjustment. He, he does speak, understand and speak pretty good English, actually, considering the fact that he's never really left Russia. Um, so I think in all that sense, you know, he, he, his adjustment should be, should be good, but, you know, the sooner the better. You know, we're definitely looking forward to uh, his contract expiring so we can get him over here. How much um, does it help him having Askarov drafted by you guys as well so that, you know, they have familiarity of playing, you know, into some tournaments together as, as young kids, but also, you know, somebody that he can lean on for just talking about adjustments into, like, as you had mentioned, culture and the different style of play and things to look for just to sort of help that transition to – as well, because I always find that countrymen can make that a little bit easier for, you know, the first time players. Yeah, I think that'll definitely be helpful, you know, with a guy that's kind of have, will have gone through the same process uh, as him, you know, a, a year before, um, you know, they know each other, obviously from national team play and those sorts of things, like you said. So I think he'll definitely be uh, of help to him. We also have Igor Afanasyev. Who, who's been over here longer from Russia. You know, he came over and played in Muskegon and then Windsor. Um, but he, you know, he's from Moscow. He, you know, he's played on national teams. And so he'll be, he'll be another countryman for him, for him as well, if he's not in Nashville. But, uh, um, you know, it, so it, it's, I think it'll be a good situation for him. Like I said, we're just looking forward to getting him over here. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back, we'll continue to talk about the Nashville Predators prospects with their assistant general manager, Jeff Kelty, right after these important messages. (laughs) 
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're speaking with Jeff Kelty, Assistant General Manager for the Nashville Predators, about some prospects in their system. I'd like to talk to you about Zachary Leharu, and uh, unfortunately, you know, he's missed quite a bit of time, but he's finally come back um, and played a couple games for the Halifax Mooseheads and uh, managed to get himself three points in two games, which is not too shabby for a kid who's missed some time. But talk about his game, and it's kind of like I almost have to look at him similar to like a honey badger. He's just so like energized and fanatic and phonetic about his style of play. Like it's just, he doesn't seem to be able to understand how to pull himself back. He's getting better, but don't get me wrong. Cause I want some players who have like, obviously that piss and vinegar in his game. And at some point he's going to be like rein that in a little bit, but talk about the advantage of having that, player in your lineup or in your prospect system who has those mental and emotional attributes that are sometimes really hard to find in a player who's just willing to do whatever is necessary for his team to win. And if that means him getting punched in the mouth or him going to the greasy areas and creating time and space um, or driving other opposition bananas, then so be it. But the advantage is he can play too. Like he's not just this fourth line pest. This is a kid who I think can, you know, play in your middle six lineup and provide, you know, a lot of, you know, areas of his game that are going to be, you know, necessary in the playoffs, particularly when it gets nasty and ugly. Yeah. I mean, he, he's got a, a kind of a unique skill set and that's what attracted us to him. Um, you know, he's highly competitive. He plays on the edge sometimes over the edge, uh, as I mentioned, but I think he's, he's learning in that sense. He's learning to kind of, um, you know, not go off the handle, kind of remain, remain effective in the game, you know? Um, but he, he gets after people who gets under their skin. Um, and, and like you said, he, he can produce offense, you know, I, I, he's, he's, uh, you know, he produced a lot last year until he, 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 the injury that he set him back this year kind of started last year. And so he missed some time last year. And when he came back, he wasn't quite himself, rehabbed it, and then came to camp, had a, had a really good start to camp, rookie camp and everything, and, uh, and the injury crept back in. So we got it taken care of. Um, he just came back uh, this past weekend, um, had, a, had a couple goals over the weekend. Um, you know, and I think that, that again, like you talk with all these – these uh, these guys, it's just it's just adding the maturity into their games, and that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different players. In his case, it's it's kind of like I said, maintaining that competitiveness, that agitating element, but but um, but staying in the game at the same time, you know. And uh, he's learning to do that. I think you know one of the things for him is when he turns pro next year, it'll help him in the sense that to play that hard, you know, to to play you know, that hard and getting after people all the time. It's hard to do that if you're, you know, if you're playing at a junior pace, you're playing a lot of minutes. I think he'll actually be a guy that, you know, once you scale his minutes down a little bit, it'll make him a little bit more effective in terms of playing in, in those short, quick bursts that he needs to. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's, he's um, uh, you know, although he's been injured, he, he, he has made some good strides. He, he had a, a good summer. His mindset is good. 
And uh, and it seems like he's off to a pretty good start in his first couple of games. So, you know, once he gets his conditioning and his timing back up here, I think he'll be a, a really, really good player there in Halifax and and uh, another one that will be ready to turn pro next season. Well, I look some of, at some of his mental and emotional like attributes when you watch him play, and obviously there's a tremendous amount of courage and perseverance, uh, clearly. Uh, the kid's resilient because everybody can go after him, and it doesn't seem to phase him. He almost actually thrives off the chaos in that respect. And we're, you know, as you mentioned, it's about really him understanding his own personal discipline is that he's cunning in a lot of ways. Like he finds ways to agitate certain players and he's very intelligent about it. And for him, it's just about not getting caught up in his own game about being disciplined, like actually tactically in his mind going, okay, this is how far I'm going to push this. And it's like he, he's thinking out what he's going to do in those situations. And I know that's like a really interesting part of his game. And that's great too. But I think he also, if you look at the type of points he produces and where he his assists come from is where his goals come from, I think those are very transferable to the pro game. Where I think, you know, there are some kids who could put up 100 points, but maybe half their points are, there's no way those are transferable to a pro game where I think a large percentage of his points will be because a lot of them are so tight around that net and right in the slot area where like, that's where you're going to have to score just in the NHL or the AHL, regardless of what league you're in. No, I mean, he, he's got a pretty good skill level, but I think you're right. Like his, his, uh, a lot of his points in production need, need to come, you know, in the dirty areas and, and on the inside. And, and that's, the way he plays and needs to play. I think that, um, as you touched on, the biggest thing is just making sure that he, uh, you know, has that that edge and that that uh, agitation in his game. But you know, recognizing where the line is and making sure that he kind of kind of walks it, so to speak. Um, you know, and and again, I, I think that's part of his maturity process, and he's learned a lot in that in that regard. I mean, he's a marked guy in our league now, just with the different suspensions and those sorts of things that he's had. So um, I think it's, it's learned to, he's learned to kind of uh, make sure he, he uh, he's uh, under good behavior. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, that's an element that he has and that, an element that attracted us to him. So you, you don't want to take it out of him. You just want him to, to use it to, uh, to the best of its ability. So. Let's uh, talk about Luke Evangelista. And I was always, I'm always curious when players make that jump from the CHL into their first year in the American Hockey League, because the American Hockey League in a bit of a meat grinder, of course he had a remarkable season last year statistically. And then I'm always curious to see how that transfers is. And, and if it doesn't get players like that, get a lot of points early, does it really mess with their confidence? And does it take a little bit of time to rebuild him? But it looks as though, I'm not saying it's a seamless transition because it never is to the American League, but it seems like he's been able to handle the pace of the game, um, but also like the pace of the game in terms of how quickly the puck moves, but also where he needs to be and the understanding he has to keep his feet moving and um, how competitive that league really is. Yeah, he's he's off to a pretty good start there in Milwaukee. He's leading our team in scoring. Um, You know, in terms of Trent, you know, transferring over to the American Hockey League, I guess the the the, the biggest thing that that translates is his hockey sense. He's got, um, 
you know, it's just his hockey sense is, is elite. Um, you know, he, he needs to continue to uh, get stronger, more explosive, all those things. But, um, but when you have that sense, you know, you're always in the right areas. Um, you know, he's one of these guys that in the offensive zone, he just has the puck finds him. And, and that's because he knows where to be. And then once he gets the puck, um, he, he just has such a natural ability to make plays. He's got great touch. Um, you know, he, he's made some, you know, some really nice plays uh, to set up goals and, and produce points there. Um, so it's it's been a good adjustment for him. I think that, you know, the grind of the season, um, playing against men, all the, the, the detail stuff, uh, you know, same type of stuff that you talk about with, with all these younger offensive players. It's, it's pace without the puck. It's being consistent, all those things. Um, you know, that, that's going to come along here in time, I think, because he's a, uh, he's a really good character. He works hard. He's very coachable. I think all those things are, are going to come along, but, um, but, you know, the stuff that he has that you can't teach is, uh, I think we're, we're pretty excited about because he just finds a way to produce uh, every step of the way because he's got that elite, elite sense. So, um, like I said, he's off to a good start. One of the things that I, when I was watching some film of him in the American League, what I was really intrigued by is his ability to draw on defenders and then watch what the defender does. Like they commit, the defender will commit and then he will force them to go in a, in a weight shift or in a direction he doesn't want to go. And it opens up time and space for him to move that puck. And I thought for a player that's 20, for him to recognize that at a faster pace and with a more skilled and disciplined defenders, I thought that really jumped out to me, particularly early in the season. Yeah, there, there's definitely no panic in his game. You know, he gets the puck on his stick and it's almost like he, he can just see the way his, his, you know, his brain just kind of can slow everything down, but then he can execute at any pace that you want. So, um, you know, I, when you put him with the other other top offensive players, you you can really see the way he can think and execute with those guys. So that's that's uh, that's the exciting aspect. He's just got to continue to to develop all the other areas. But like I said, we're we're confident that's going to come along here. He's still a young kid. He's twenty years old. He just turned pro, um, and he's working at it every day. But like I said, those those things that you can't teach are are fun to watch. Do you? Would like to see him shoot a little bit more because obviously the kid has a deceptive shot, gets it off his stick quickly, um, you know, really reads the defense and the goaltender as well. But I always find sometimes the younger player will tend to defer to his more veteran line mates, particularly when it's their first year or even sometimes their second year in the American League. Um, I think he's one of these guys that I mean, it, his, he's got more assists than goals starting out here, but I, I think that he's one of these guys that again, just has such a natural feel to make whatever the right play is. Um, he shoots with purpose. Uh, last year in London, you know, maybe it's because he was playing. A lot of minutes. You know, 20, yeah. <laughs> 20 to 25 minutes a night. You know, he ended up with a, a lot of shots every night. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I, I think that he, everything he does with the puck has a purpose to it and a touch to it. So um, he's not necessarily uh, – I guess throwing volume of, of pucks at the net, but if he thinks that it's going to create a scoring chance or he's going to have traffic or bodies there, he'll put it there with purpose. Um, he, he's just got a really, really, um, really, really smart offensive uh, mind in that sense. So, um, um, you know, it's off to a good start production wise and hopefully he can keep it going. 
Well, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on our show. We really appreciate it and good luck and safe travels. Thanks for having me on as always. That's Jeff Kelty, Assistant General Manager for the National Predators. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to turn the page and we're going to talk about the St. Louis Blues prospects with their director of player development, Tim Taylor. Tim, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Well, let's uh, chat about a couple players we haven't had an opportunity to discuss with you. Uh, well, one specifically from last year's draft in Jimmy Snuggerud. And I found it compelling when I spoke to him directly after the draft because he came right to our booth with uh, Steve Coolies and Scott on NHL Network Radio and how how much he understood and knew about the St. Louis Blues and how dialed in he was in terms of his information about the other teams. And it was interesting to hear him say, I am a prototypical St. Louis Blues. The way they played the game, he goes to me, like he couldn't get the smile off his face. He goes, he goes, that's a perfect fit. That's like for this organization, me as a player, it's a perfect fit. And he like he couldn't have been more excited to be there. Thoughts on him in terms of the style of play he has and then his development jumping into college hockey. Cause some players make more of a seamless transition like Jimmy has and other players have struggles and it doesn't look like he has had any struggles so far this year. No, no. And, and, and since day one, we drafted him, um, he's done everything possible that we've asked him, you know, coming in development camp and, and uh, you know, from his work ethic on the ice, off the ice, uh, getting ready for, for uh, college hockey. Um, it's not, it, it's, it's rare that a true 18 year old uh, that you draft goes in and is, is right in the top lines of, of a college team obviously playing against older uh, men at that level is bigger and stronger. Um, but he's fit in very nicely at, at uh, Minnesota. I was there last week with Michigan and although Michigan had a depleted lineup, they had a lot of guys sick. Uh, Jimmy was uh, one of the best players on the ice uh, throughout uh, both games. So um, the one thing that that, that goes, uh, I, I think I noticed him, he's got a great shot. He's, he's instinctive on the ice uh, and, and he, he plays the game and, and he, he uh, just the details of the game that I really liked, you know, when the score was three, one, you know, instead of trying to beat the guy one on one and the nuance of, of, of the NHL and, 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 the, and the elite players now is they try and put games away. Well, he understands the gameship and, and, you know, dumping the puck and making sure, and, and they're a very well coached team. Uh, and I, I'm sure that comes from the coach. So we're very happy that he's, he's attending uh, Minnesota and, and with that culture, because uh, that's the culture we want. We believe that that's a winning culture. Um, it's nice to make plays late in games and put games away, but more often than not, you, you actually uh, um, um, put yourself at risk for allowing team back in the game. And, and that's why we're seeing so many comebacks in the NHL uh, throughout the first month and a half year of, of play. But, um, you know, Jimmy's deceptive in, in his quickness. He, I don't think he got a lot of accolades of, of saying how, how fast he was. I think foot speed was probably maybe the concern on, on, on some teams with him. Uh, but what I saw last week, uh, his quickness in tight areas and, and to beat guys off the boards and, and get that shoulder by him and, and that quick shot on net uh, and to make some plays in, in, in a, a big environment like Michigan. Uh, I was really happy with his progress so far, especially uh, the way he plays the game right now. 
Well, just to add to that, Tim, from from a scouting perspective, the one thing that I was I was going to ask you in terms of his development was uh, not not the quickness, but sometimes he would inadvertently throw himself off balance while trying to protect the puck along the walls or trying to kill off pressure. So that, my question for you is: Do you feel that he is has he gained uh, more weight and he's has he stabilized himself so that he can uh, play down low and on balance when he's trying to make his passes? Because he's such a, a, a brilliant playmaker. I thought he was one of the most underrated playmakers in last year's draft, but sometimes. When he's off balance, as you know, he can pass the puck at the rate that he theoretically could if it, if he managed to stabilize himself. So, where do you feel he is in that regard? Well, I, I, again, as a young player, you always feel like they get bigger and stronger, right? And obviously, going to the to the next level with whether it be AHL or the NHL, uh, these guys, young players, have to get bigger and stronger. And again, they're going against men. These guys, this is their everyday, this is their career. So, um, he's taken a, a, a step from where he was last year to this year uh, with his strength and conditioning. Uh, again, but there's going to be another step that he has to take for for his strength and to play the way, like just as you described there, coming off the boards, those in tight areas, a bit of hang on the puck and, and make a play, uh, let the play develop, and then then find a guy open if the, if his the shot's not there. So um, to do that and to be successful, his biggest asset, he's going to have to get stronger because uh, you know at the next level, uh, those guys are going to be able to knock him down. And right now, he's getting by with that because he's 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 built that strength. But again, he's it's another step he's going to have to take to, to turn pro. But we're really happy and excited for where he's come so far. And when he's engaged down low uh, around the net, I start to see him do a much better job of leaning on players and then being able to like roll himself off and not just to lean on a guy, but actually get that defenseman off balance. And then get almost, you can, when you're pushing on somebody, you can feel which direction they're kind of leaning to. And then you take advantage of that. I just started to see him do that more effectively. Is that something that, you know, you talk to him about is, because you're going to have, he's going to be a big bodied player down low, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And that, again, that, that's his biggest asset, right? So he's not a, a, a off the rush type guy. that's going to beat you by pure speed and skill, but it, it's those plays off the boards and in tight areas that, that he can make the plays and it is quick shot. He gets it off real quick. Um, yeah. So it's not something that we've talked to him. Chris Thorborn is uh, does works with our forwards now. Uh, so, and I have uh, Glenn Wesley working with our D. So, uh, Chris Thorburn was with him uh, this week, this past weekend. So, it's not something that we instinctively talk about. This is just instincts for him that, that, that he just knows. And that's that his, it's, it's almost like a power game now he plays. He's, he's got skill, but he's starting to play a little bit of power game where he's going into guys. He's bumping off them. He's trying to knock them off balance as he has a puck. So, um, again, you know what? I, I say a gamer, but he's a really intelligent player. He, he understands the nuisances of games and, and where he's at and, and where to find players and, and where to find the holes. So I was, I, again, I've only seen him those, those two games. I was very impressed with him and, and with those two games, especially uh, a true agent role. Well, let's talk about another gamer you have in Zachary Bolduc. And obviously he had a fantastic year last year in, in Quebec and is, you know, following that up this year as well. And Quebec's got a great team. They're going to go on a fantastic run. I think they've lost one game this year in regulation. So they're a bit of a juggernaut team, but he has to take the brunt of the load, I think offensively and everybody targets him and, you know, watching him play this year, when you got that bullseye on you, how do you think he's responded to the stress level emotionally, mentally knowing that he has to be at his best every night because he is like target number one to shut down for the opposition. Yeah, you know what? He's taken another step too. Uh, last year, he was a, again a pure goal scorer. I think he was second in the league in goals. Uh, um, he had a 
great finish. And, and uh, um, this year we we kept him a little bit longer. Obviously, the Quebec League started a little bit, so he's missed some games. But he went back right away. And our definition to him was that that for you to to the, the next goal for you is to, is is to try and be a two way player, be that guy that that in critical situations that that Patrick Walk can put you on the ice. Uh, when you're down a goal, up a goal, protecting a, a two-goal lead uh, with a goalie uh, out in your favor or out in 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 trying to protect the lead, uh, so he's been really good. He's adjusted to that. He understands it, that that it, these minutes are important, uh, and, and and those plays that you make uh, at the critical times are important too. You have to gain ice time when you turn pro, and you just can't come in and be a scorer and think, okay, right away. Uh, Craig Ruby's going to put you on the five on three. You have to earn that ice. He has to be able to trust you before you get in those situations. So um, he he's adapted to that. And and I think that his two-way game is, is better than it was last year. Uh, he's more committed. Uh, he's fighting for ice. Um, he's again, engaged to uh, knocking guys off pucks instead of going around guys. We want him going north, south through guys as well, using utilizing that outside speed and his shot. Um, again, we, we've, we've uh, put together a really good development team here. Um, Matt D'Agostino is working part-time with us and, and it's just his, that's his special project. It was with, uh, with, uh, Bull Duke and, and uh, he spent uh, three weekends in there with him. So he's done a really good job interacting with him and letting him know where he needs to be. And we, we, we try and make goals for, for our guys. And obviously, uh, with, with Bull Duke, with, uh, with Zach, we, we, we want to try and make uh, the team Canada. So he's put uh, all efforts in there and trying to show that coaching staff that he's uh, committed to playing a two-way game and they can trust him in important situations and key games within uh, hopefully uh, the World Junior Championships. Tim, I haven't uh, had an opportunity to see his development. I, I haven't seen him since his draft season. So my question for you is, where do you feel he's improved the most within his development since his initial year? Well, I, I feel that, like, again, he, he's a natural goal scorer. He could shoot the puck. It comes off his, his stick real quick. Uh, you know, I, I think the tendency, especially playing junior hockey, is you get a little bit lazy and and you you cut corners a little bit to take chances on, on the offensive side of the puck. Well, once you turn pro, you can't do that. You, you, you know, you you'll be uh, um, you someone will bypass you in that area. You have to be able to, to play both sides of the, of the puck and, and be willing to be engaged, willing to 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 drive through guys and and be involved in the play. You cannot be a perimeter player unless you're an elite star. Uh, you know, that can do it and as production. But until you get there, you have to prove that you can play and the coach can trust you. So I feel that uh, he, he's more involved in games now, uh, not just uh, uh, offensively, but uh, defensively. He's more engaged in, in, in trying to get pucks out, more of a team uh, effort now. So I think he's understanding. That's hard for players. You know, you see guys come in the league, um, especially centermen that, that don't take it, uh, the face-offs real critical. And, 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 you know, they come in and they lose ice time because of, because they're not very good. So they have to put guys out there who are good at face-offs and they take them off. So now he, I think he's got a more of appreciation, not, not saying he's a center, but more appreciation for those the details of the game that get you ice time and lose you ice time. So that's the biggest part where, where I think he's improved this year. You, you look at him as, you know, I look at him as a primary shooter. Has he begun to develop more of, deception in terms of when he does move the puck and use a give and go and recognize that, you know, as he controls the puck and draws defenders and uses give and go and um, more playmaking that, that opens up more scoring opportunities for him, you know, as the, you know, the season continues and moves along. Well, I, I actually think it's opposite. I think shooters are the ones that create more, uh, uh, more uh, diverse uh, um, offense within your game, because if you're, if you're a shooter, guys are going to come to you and then you can make a play. If you're strictly a playmaker, 
they will play off you and, and take your, 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 your options away. So I think with him, it, it, it's easier as a, as a elite shooter that he can make plays because guys are coming at him and now he just has to move the puck and, and he's always been a pretty good playmaker, but now guys are really concentrating. So now you look this year, he has more, more assists than he does goals and, and he's not putting as many goals as he did last year because he's getting taken away a lot and he's able to move the puck. So uh, he, I, I think with that shot, it gives him more options because guys have to appreciate that. It's like an NHL power play. You got that big shot from Ovechkin. It opens up a lot of other guys for plays to be made. So I think that's what's happening with his team is, is he's getting takeaway. It's going to open up a lot more room for other guys to score goals for his team. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these important messages. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about the St. Louis Blues prospects with Tim Taylor, the director of player personnel. So, Tim, want to ask you about a really interesting story about a goaltender that you've drafted in the seventh round in, in Vadim Zarenko. And give us give us a little bit of background at how arduous it was to take this player. Um, last year, obviously, he was playing in Finland. Uh, but get him over to the American Hockey League. And, you know, although he's only played six games, is I, you know, I've seen one game of Springfield this year and he looked really, really good for a young goaltender. And the American League's not easy on young goaltenders. It's can be a little bit scrambly and it's a change of angles and pace. And um, so talk about not only his journey to get there, but how he's played so far for you as well. All right, we'll start off his play. He's played very well. Obviously, uh, first year over in North America uh, on a smaller ice service with different angles, like you said, and where goalies play the puck a lot more. So uh, that's the one aspect that we're really uh, – our goalie coach with Dan Stewart has worked on him uh, heavily on is, is playing the puck and going out and, and, and making the, it easier on a defenseman to come back and get the puck and, and, and help alleviate some uh, pressure on him. So um, he's done a good job there. He, he's really learning the game. Uh, he's a student of the game, and he's very eager uh, with anything given to him, with with, with whatever coaches ask him to do, or, um, again, Dan, who works very closely with him. Uh, he's very eager to learn, and he's, he's uh, you know, he takes that, uh, I would say, criticism on very well. Uh, he knows you're not really criticizing, you're just trying to help him, push him in the right direction, and 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 uh, he opens it up with 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 open arms, he accepts open arms, so he's been really good that way. And obviously, with the story with, with him, uh, and now I'm going to give the player and Dan Stewart uh, all the credit here uh, because uh, it was a real tough six weeks for, for, for Dean. Um, the long story short was that we didn't know what was going on in, in Finland last year. He was going to spend one more year there. Um, the Finnish league, obviously, with the war uh, um, with Russia being involved, uh, they weren't allowed any Russian players back in. So the the um, the team had to sign another goalie just in case. And, and it was ended up being a starting goalie from last year. Uh, so it was like a, a little bit of a, a conflict of whether Vadim could go back there to begin with because of the war or now he, whether he wanted to. So uh, Dynamo had uh, interest in him so he could possibly play there. And um, so we ended up, we wanted to, to uh, expedite the process and bring him over and, and start his uh, development uh, uh, this year. So he actually flew to uh, um, Georgia, the country Georgia on his own uh, to get a U.S. visa. Uh, and he spent six weeks on his own money to stay in a hotel uh, working out in the hotel, but not on the ice. Couldn't get his clothes, couldn't do anything. And we were finally able to uh, 
to get uh, him a Canadian visa because his first uh, U.S. visa got uh, denied. So uh, it, long, it was just a long, long process for the for the uh, for Vadim, and and uh, he stood pat, and and everything that we had told him, we tried to make happen for him, uh, and we get get him a Canadian visa, but uh, over to fly over to Canada, he still had to have uh, the vaccine. He had Sputnik uh, vaccine, so that was obviously not good enough to come to Canada. So he had to fly to a different country uh, to get uh, a Pfizer vaccine. Then I had to wait two more weeks in the hotel before he could actually come over to Canada. So. Uh, once we got him over to Canada, just in the clothes he had on his back and his workout clothes, uh, it was like a day before he got his U.S. Uh, passport and P1, and then uh, he actually flew into to, uh, St. Louis. And it was a day we actually had other players flying for rookie camp. So he had almost seven weeks of not being on the ice and staying in a hotel to try and come over and play this year. So Dan Stewart, uh, again, our uh, development goalie coach, did a heck of a job communicating every single day and making him feel at ease and, and, and that we were going to take care of him. We had our, our, uh, our uh, immigration lawyer uh, on this every single day. So it was a long, long process, but between the two, we got it done and he's been over here and uh, he's been nothing short of uh, a real surprise for us and how he's handled everything. So uh, again, for those two, it's been a long process, but we're happy to have him here starting his development this year. Uh, Tim, in my viewings, one thing that was interesting from, him transferring from Russia to Liga with Ilves was that uh, it was the first time, you know, obviously, as you know better than anyone, Liga simulates North American game at a better rate than it does in the VHL where he's currently, where he was previously playing. And so when he got over there, he had some difficulty when it came to net front traffic. That was, that was the issue, being able to track pops to redirect and things of that nature. I found that he's made a completely seamless transition now to the AHL in that regard. Um, but is there anything specifically that you've noticed in terms of his other qualities that, that really stand out to you at this stage? Well, you know what? I was actually really surprised at his size. We had uh, Dave Rogalski, who's now the head goalie coach in, in New Jersey, was our development goalie coach before he got this job in New Jersey. And, and he did a really good job with communication with being the day we drafted him. And I don't think he realized till, until he went over to, to see him that how big he was. And he's a big guy and, and uh, he's very, very athletic. That's the other thing that, that I didn't recognize within watching him on, on film is that how athletic he was. Uh, and, and then now coming over here and, and being that athletic and, and his lateral movement, um, he's very good at very strong pushes uh, laterally. Um, the one thing now we're getting him to slow down a little bit because he doesn't have to move it as much now. We want a little movement as possible in his game. And he's really learning to, to do that, with especially utilizing the, the biggest asset he has is his side, right? So um, he's really learning uh, the nuances of, of North American game. And, and he's come a long way. Again, he's only played six games, but you got to remember that, that not only it's just those games, it's all the practice time he's getting. And the one-on-ones he's getting with Dan Stewart uh, in Springfield that's really uh, honed in on, on his development this year and springboard him to be where he is right now. So uh, we couldn't be any more happier with, with his, uh, you know, again, it comes with the, the, the player's ability to want to be here and the ability to, to, to learn and, and process everything. And, and uh, he is so eager and so willing to try and get to the next level and, and, and wants to play. So it's been a, a luxury that, that, that work with a player like this. We would like to ask you about Simon Robertson as well and his continued development and progress. Uh, I fully expect he should be on Team Sweden for the World Juniors as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing him playing against his peer group and talk about, you know, how he's played from last year to this year. And we sometimes forget he's 19 and he played as an eight-year-old in the Swedish Elite League. And that's a not an easy feat. And talk about a little bit how he's, Develop through that process and having to, you know, play against men on a daily basis. 
Well, it, it's a learning process for those guys because when they're 18 years old, they're the star players, right? And then they go and play in the, in the elite league with men and they have to take a lesser role. They have to take a more detailed role. They have to, again, going back to talk about those details, but that's what, what it's all about. And um, when you're playing junior, uh, you can get away with, with with trying to take chances and score offensively and being one of the top guys. But when you get to the next level, you got to prove that you can stay there and be that guy every single day. So um, it's been a learning process for him. He's taken a, a different role, now more of a checking role, third, fourth line type role. But he's a big kid that can skate, and, and he really likes to challenge D uh, on the offense going wide. So um, I'm really looking forward to to watching him at the World Junior. Uh, he should be a really uh, dominant player with his size and, and his skating ability. So we're excited to see him. He had a shoulder injury at the start of this year, so he he just got back. I think it was about roughly about three weeks ago. So um, I'm I'm interested to seeing uh, from from where he was uh, at development camp to where he is now. Uh, in this draft year, I felt that one of the reasons he dropped was because he didn't really know exactly what he was. You know, you, you want a, a player that size to be. I felt like a, a more streamlined style of power forward. I felt that sometimes he was a little too finesse oriented, relying a little too much on his shot quality and playing from the outside. You, you mentioned that he likes to drive from the outside. Where are you in terms of his development? Did you feel that he's driving to the interior of the rink at the rate that you want? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think with playing with this elite league is going to help that development too, because again, you can't get away with just being on the outside. You can't get away with just trying to make skilled plays because a coach won't play it. And, and so you have to learn that and, and it's going to help these young guys that, that, that they learn the more details of the game and become more structurally sound is they, that's the roles are going to be put in. So uh, I, I think it helps with their development helps with us anyway, seeing that they, they have to do that. And, and if they don't do it, they're not going to play. Sometimes you see a, a, a player, uh, whether it be over in North America or, or over in, uh, in Europe is that if they're still playing the junior leagues and then once you get them, they haven't played any pro hockey it's a long learning curve when you get them because they don't understand what it's going to take to play the next level. And they do, do they take those shortcuts, which naturally they can do at a junior level. So it, it helps us when, when guys, you know, play in those elite leagues over there, or they come here and they play that, that get a little bit of time in the AHL at the end of their junior years, it gets them to understand what being a pro is all about, because it's a big adjustment. I, I, I always felt that, and, and a lot of players say this, the adjustment isn't from from the AHL to the NHL. The adjustment hockey is from junior college to the AHL. That's a big adjustment. Those are what defines you as a player and, and how you're going to play and how you're going to be at a pro level. How much does a player's own personal self-awareness of what they are as a player when you're getting to that sort of 19, more 20-year-old where it becomes more critical to understand who you are? You don't want to stifle them, but you know, you're know you getting to a point where you're starting to be developed. How important is that to have that communication with that player well the biggest thing i think is, is, is how you do that is winning right when we're in a, a league where, where it's about results if you don't get results you you as manager you don't have jobs and and, and players you, you try and move players so this is is all about results and so the quicker we get them to pro and understand you know at the hl playing meaningful games it's about results it is about you know i played well and, and we lost it's about results and playing the right way so I think that's the biggest learning curve that from from junior to 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 the AHL is understanding what makes teams win, and you have to fit in that mold. And we try and mold those guys. Now we don't, yeah, you don't want to slow their progress down, but at the end of the day, you're trying to build a team to win, and they got to be a part of that team. Uh, absolutely, it makes sense, uh, Tim. Uh, thank you very much once again for coming on our show. We always appreciate the insight of the prospects and great story about Vadim. I like hearing about players that have that level of 
you know, fortitude to like, you know, follow their dreams and like suck it up when things don't really go their way. And um, so looking forward to seeing him continue to develop as well and safe travels out there. Thanks guys. That's Tim Taylor. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these important messages. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We are now heading into our player development segments with Pat Malloy, NHL skills and development coach. Pat, thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, as we get into uh, this segment, Malloy Malloy sounds like a law firm, but neither one of us should be lawyers. <laughs> That's no, 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 no. Thanks. I, hey, look, I have lots of friends who are lawyers. They're great people, but it's something I don't want to do. So the topic this week in our player development segments is trajectory fulfillment, helping players identify, understand, and play to their DNA. And what <laughs> what really interests me in this segment is the last, that last acronym of DNA. And as I go through my studies and I'm doing research on cognitive performance management, it's really fascinating, Pat, to look at it from that perspective of how much your genetics applies to you as a person, then how much of that has to be nurtured because unnurtured um, aspects of your DNA and parts of that you may inherit from your mom and your dad or other, you know, your relatives. That's great, but it can rely, it can remain dormant if not nurtured properly and recognized by the people who are helping you in your development, whether that's on the mental side or in player development or on ice or the combination of the two uh, with your and with your trainer, that, that whole sort of package. So, you know, explain your thoughts of that to, our listeners and sort of describe what that means to you from the player development side. Yeah. You know, great points. It, it, it to me really becomes when you, you know, you recognize and identify a player and their abilities, um, you know, and often, you know, this delves over to the scouting side, you know, that's a projectable um, concept scouting. We project them to be this when they reach, you know, the best league in the world. Um, but there's a lot of speculation there that depends on a lot of things. And so, you know, trajectory is an interesting thing because, you know, if a player meets that trajectory and lives to their potential, you know, that potential had to be nurtured along the way. And so from a trajectory standpoint, there's, there's the bandwidth perspective of it in terms of what is the, the player's trajectory from the mental portion of the game, their processing, you know, how they apply things within gameplay then obviously, you know, one of the maybe most controllable things is, is a physical trajectory. What can we do to enhance that player athletically? And so, you know, a lot of times you'll see it, a player gets drafted and it's just become bigger and stronger. Um, and, and that is one component of it. And it, it really is trying to measure and understand what is that player's trajectory and what goes into that. So from an athletic perspective, um, from a processing, from a skills perspective, um, you know, from a, a stress management, stress mitigation, play within stress, sort of putting all of the different attributes together and recognizing, all right, if done properly, 
uh, and develop fully, this is what this player can become, you know, checking all those boxes of all the different things that create a, a rounded, uh, successful player. Yeah, and that's interesting. So how much in terms of investigation you have to do to look at, to break the player down into, okay, here is his core fundamentals as an athlete. And this is what he's really, what he is currently good at. And say you're looking at a draft eligible player, a kid who's 17 years of age, but then it's not just the physical skill set that's on the ice. And then, of course, you know, what his body's made of in terms of like his genetic makeup and, you know, does he need to have, you know, work in certain areas and all players do, but then also there's, you know, the mental and emotional attributes that you can observe in when you're trying to teach and help that player with that trajectory moving forward. So talk about those three elements, because those are three things that you you would end up working on in conjunction. Cause it's not just about, you know, throwing a bunch of tires on the ice and getting them out there and skating. Like you have to delve into all three of those aspects and then integrate that all together. Yeah. You know, a, a huge part of it in terms of recognizing, you know, the parts that make the player, you know, from a developmental standpoint is first recognizing how they learn. Um, I think long gone are the days where, you know, I teach and if you get it, then you're, you know, adept at, at, at picking up concepts. And if you don't, you just don't get it and you can't play. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard in, in a development setting, you know, or specifically a scouting setting, well, kid can't play. Um, I'd be rich. You know, really, I, I think now it's it's recognizing, number one, how players learn. And so, you know, checking those three boxes, you know, physically, mentally, um, from a skill acquisition standpoint, recognizing how the player learns is huge. Because if I put something out there and it feels awesome and, um, you know, it sounded really great coming out, but the player didn't get it, it it's it's more on the teacher to adapt than it is on the player. Now, not to say that resilience and those things for a player to get outside their comfort zone in terms of how they acquire new skills isn't important, but really as a person trying to bring the best out of them and, you know, identify number one, what is their trajectory as a player? But then once we've identified that and gone through that evaluation process, how can we help them along? And one of the ways is, is learnability. How can I make sure the things that we know will impact that player in a positive way are retained by the player. And so it, it starts with taking the time needed to make sure that whatever language it is that we're speaking in development terms is one that the player digests because otherwise it's just unused information uh, and a missed opportunity to impact a player's ability to perform. Well, how much time does it take you when you're particularly taking on a new client that you have to break, not only first you break down his game and all, all these different areas that we discussed, but how much time do you take in terms of figuring out how that player learns? Because sometimes as an individual, you may not even recognize how you learn or how you learn effectively. You could say, oh, I just like watching video, but that may not even be the best way for that individual to learn. He may be better with audio. Um, or, you know, it, or it has to be malleable where he has to see it and then immediately do it for that to sink in. So how much time do you end up spending in that aspect to help that trajectory fulfillment? Great question. I mean, and, and I think the, the short answer is as long as it takes. Um, it's so individual from one athlete to the next. 
like you said, um, you know, some people learn by seeing, some people learn by doing, you know, sometimes text, um, you know, reading and absorbing the concept before application. Sometimes it's a three-headed monster where it's absorbing the context via text, you know, then back filling with video to recognize, all right, here's the concept, here's what it looks in gameplay setting, and how do we translate that to physical movement? And it becomes a part of it, you know, certainly becomes feel. Um, just dropping them in a drill and asking them to do it and do it really fast is certainly not, um, you know, anywhere where you'd want to start. There's a feel component to it, recognizing what feels right, what feels wrong, what did they see, um, and, and their way of interpreting the information comes out in their way of performing. So you'll quickly start to get feedback, you know, via their uptake of that concept um, based on their ability to A, you know, convey it back to you, but B, ultimately perform it in such a fashion that they recognize the different points that you're trying to get across and how they apply to that individual athlete. So it's, it's you know, back to the original question, it's really as long as it takes um, and no two athletes are the same. How much do you recognize in a player their ability to task switch? And, you know, some players are exceptionally good at certain things. And then if you're moving them from one aspect of the game to another, and some people, whether it's hockey or not, just take a long time to switch and be really hyper-focused in that respect. How much of that do you, do you notice and observe? And that has to be, you know, I guess managed from your perspective. And then the player's adaptability in terms of, you know, just – trying to figure things out and learning from different ways. And yes, you got to try to cater it to his learning ability, but players also have to be adaptable. Otherwise, as they move up, you know, and the talent pool compresses, they just, they won't be able to hang in there. Yeah. I mean, and we'll talk about this in, in a future segment, just in terms of things that are transferable in terms of, of successfulness at the next level. But, you know, from the, the adaptability perspective or, or from the ability to take in information and make tangible change. Um, you know, the, what I've seen in my experience is, is some of the top performers are certainly information seekers. They're, they're always on the edge of wanting to find new ways. Whereas, you know, some of it becomes mental in the sense that an average player or, or a player that might be, um, you know, not quite as touted a prospect um, and get to a certain level, they're simply trying to fulfill the things they can to add value and, and stick around. And so, you know, from a, a DNA perspective, it's, it's really understanding what does that look like in terms of your ability to impact the game and create value for yourself as a player at the next level and then living within that and, and leveraging strengths. So, you know, to ask someone that's, you know, shown uh, ability to, you know, really recognize high percentage patterns within gameplay, play within traffic or in small areas and conceptualize spatial awareness. And then, you know, go out and do that, but then end up in a system where or end up in an environment where we're asking them to do something that maybe doesn't um, fit as well with what they are as in terms of makeup as a player, you know, creating straight line movement out of them, having them, you know, be, physical but in the wrong ways that don't provide value to the play as much as um you know just straight line and, and running into things or or creating a, a physicality that doesn't really have bearing on the play um 
you know, sometimes earning the trust that's required requires you to live outside of some of what would make you the most successful, but the best players are adaptable enough that they're able to um, recognize, all right, here's, here's how I'm going to earn the trust that I need to earn in order to get the, the rope that I need to, you know, in order to be um, effective in the things that I know I can bring and add value to a setting. Question about the trajectory of fulfillment. How much have you observed in your time where a player is projected to be X and that gets into the player's mind and some cases it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, even if the original assessment, especially if the original assessment is not accurate. Yeah. You know, that's always tricky because oftentimes a player will see themselves differently than potentially the way they're scouted or the way, you know, a management or development team might see them. Um, and, and this is, you know, we've talked about this in the past in terms of integration of departments and really recognizing when we draft an athlete into an organization, what's the end game? Where do we see them in terms of their ability to make uh, impact within the organization? And so, you know, if you're taking someone that's maybe physically immature, undersized, but we're, we're taking them based on we're a team that values high IQ ability to make those around them impactful, um, you know, are we doing the things to flourish what it is that we valued to bring them within the organization? Now, physically, everyone can make that difference, um, you know, but what are we doing to make sure we're you know, nurturing the things that we saw and valued to bring within the, the organization versus let's just get them stronger and therefore there'll be a stronger version of. It's, it's ensuring that, you know, if you're someone that's great at recognizing um, plays through traffic and, and, and drawing attention and, and pulling people to yourself and distributing pucks to areas to allow others that, that you know, you play with to, to create impact in the game, um, ensuring that they're in those scenarios, they recognize, and we're doing as much cognitively, for instance, to ensure that player continues to sharpen that edge, not just get in the, you know, in the gym and throw the weights around and not to take anything from that. That's important, but being appropriately strong, um, is, is a key for every athlete, making sure they maximize their athletic potential, but there's just so much more to it than, you know, get stronger and, and get faster because application really becomes a thing from a, a DNA and, and ultimately a trajectory standpoint is what are we doing to take all of the things? And, you know, I often return, you know, refer to the three sort of systems within a player, the mind, the hands, and the feet. Um, and when you can synergize those three things, both, you know, IQ or intelligence-based play, um, skill-based play, and then obviously um, skating and, 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 and feet-based play, which can be largely impacted by physical development. When you find your ways to identify and then link those three things uh, into the, you know, the application that best suits that athlete, then you're really cooking with gas. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about player development with Pat Malloy right after these important messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. 
We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our player development segments with Pat Malloy, NHL skills and skating coach. Pat, the next topic we're going to discuss is developing uh, players' transferable skill sets to project the next level of gameplay. So that could be anywhere from junior A to major junior, from you know junior A to college, from any of those to the American Hockey League, American Hockey League to the NHL, or even Europe over to the American League or the NHL, because each comes with its own set of variables. So talk a little bit about, you know, some of the strategies that you employ in developing player transferable skill sets to project to the next level, because what they did sometimes in junior, as we talk about, doesn't, you know, immediately transfer to the pro game and they can't get away with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's, you know, recognizing the, you know, it starts with recognizing the things that do translate uh, to higher quality, higher percentage play at the next level, Um, you know, starting young and and moving up, what you start to recognize is a lot of times things that are are effective, you know, at a lower level are, are because of things like physical maturity. I'm just bigger and stronger. Therefore I get away with things that I won't at the next level. Um, or I might move in straight lines better than someone does uh, at the next level at the, you know, at the highest levels, everyone can move. And so what straight line skating does to you or the, your ability to create a race for yourself that you can win at a lower level just doesn't translate, you know, using physical strength to stand around. And if you're scoring your goals, just by being net front and hacking and whacking and, you know, bullying people around. Well, when you get to the higher level, when, when everyone's physically stronger, when everyone's just as fast, when, when all of those things come about, you know, you you start to see limited amounts of success from it. So it starts with recognizing transferable skill sets. You know, are you someone that can um, create a shot off of a pass or are you someone that has to carry to your shot opportunities? And so looking at all those different things is, is the way that we start, you know, with that knowledge, it becomes power. Interesting in terms of, do you break it down based on not only always the individual player, but the playing style and the position of, of the player? Because, you know, although there's defenseman is the defenseman is the defenseman, that's not always true. Each has, you know, a lot of defensemen have their own style and trying to help mold as like our previous segment says, like trying to mold them based on, okay, what transferable skill sets do they have? Like leaning on their strengths hard doesn't mean you don't look at their weaknesses and help them along with their weaknesses, but really almost double down in double down on your strengths. Yeah, there's there's certainly the leverage, the strengths component, and and you know you know position wise, like looking at the different things, you know, speaking a defenseman. So, you know, if at a, at a, a lower level, you're someone that can really shoot a puck and you generate a lot of your, your success or deemed success off of, you know, shots from distance um, because you've got the physical strength, the ability to shoot that. And when you get to the next level, you realize, wait a second, I'm not able to generate these shots or shot attempts based on people that are faster in my lanes, taking away my time and space. And so now something that I began to think was a strength turns out to be a bit of a limitation in terms of my ability to, uh, to execute at the next level. Um, you know, simply trying to beat people in foot races. So as a defenseman, if I'm breaking a puck out, you know, what's the value of speed differential, the ability to get, you know, to, to cash in a four checker or two to make a possession exit 
or possession entry um, really becomes a value. But if, you know, at the lower level, I could just, you know, wheel the net and, and beat a bunch of people because I was physically faster. How does that translate when people can match pace? And so, you know, transferable skills that, that really make a dent depending on position, you know, being able to shoot off a pass. Can I, can I generate a quality shot from a pass or am I someone that needs it more segmented and set? You know, am I, do I have the ability to shoot off of both feet? Um, seems like such a small thing, but it's such a difference maker in terms of, you know, the players that, that, that project and, and then are able to execute at another level. Um, you know, puck protection. Can I have split body, upper body, lower body? Am I able to, you know, maintain possession or extend possession of puck, but still, you know, have an awareness of my surroundings um, that allow me to, to gather information to be able to manipulate for future use. And so, you know, some of these sorts of things, when you recognize coming to the next level, um, seems so small, but from an executional standpoint is, is so vital in terms of a player being able to succeed. Sticking with defensemen, um, obviously, because you had worked with Brent Clark as well, and looking at it from the perspective of watching what's happening in the NHL and how the game is being played, and then looking at him as a specific player and going, okay, what do we need to do? What skill sets do you have? What is going to be Trent? What are the transferable skill sets that are going to help you get into the NHL? Not just sooner, but going to help you stay there. And those strengths are, we, we can maintain that while we still have the time to work on any deficiencies you have in your game and sort of like backfill those, the weaknesses that every player has and get them, get that to a respectable level. Yeah, you know, Brant's a great example because one of the things that, that obviously we try to leverage with him is his processing ability. And so, you know, with him, we'll talk a lot about we know how teams defend, how players are taught to defend, how, you know, a, a winger is flexing out into a shot lane to take away certain things. And so one of the things that's so great about him is his processing so good that if, if we know these things, then it gives us sort of the – um, success leaves clues. So, you know, coaching leaves clues. So if we know that a winger is going to flex out in a certain way, looking to force us to release a puck to a lower percentage area, how do we use that information to be able to manipulate the movement of someone that's tra trained to do things a certain way? And so he's really adept at, at making sure we recognize, all right, if I know this is the scenario, here are some of the things that I can apply um, to change the balance of power that leverage my strengths and, and create it, the opportunity that I'm looking for. And so, you know, w with him, it's, it's, it's such a journey because he is a student of the game and he has that sort of finite um, mindset where little things that, that are done can create big differences in a play to get a, a winger that's flexing out off balance to create a possession play to the bumper player um, or to a support player that's swinging into space um, creating small hesitations into the defender. And so he's really good at creating time for himself, which is so vital uh, in the way that he plays in terms of wanting to make possession entries and exits. Um, and then on the defensive side of things, you know, he, he's, he's good at recognizing um, how do I close space based on what we know is some of the, um, the, the highest percentage options the puck carrier may have if he's defending in coverage, for instance. And so, you know, to, to simply focus on the things that are developmental areas for him 
would be a disservice to him because really leveraging the things that he's good at gives him the, the ability to be impactful uh, while continuing to address, you know, some of the areas that, that he wants to improve from a developmental standpoint. Well, with a couple of minutes left, let's turn it to a guy like Mason McTavish, who you've worked with in the past as well. And um, the same kind of scenarios for him, but on the offensive side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mason's been a client for many years and, and you know, talked to him just recently here. And, and, and one of the things with him is again, processing is, is a strength, obviously puck skills and ability to find soft ice is a strength. And so recognizing those things a little sooner in terms of, of speed of play at the level he's at now versus where, you know, for instance, the Ontario hockey league, he could bully his way around a little bit. Um, you know, really he's become quite good at skating the game and recognizing getting the soft ice at appropriate times. And so from that perception standpoint, you know, as he's growing into his body and becoming more fluid in his movements, um, you know, a lot of that is aided by just skating the game. We don't need everyone to skate and look the same. Um, what we do need is for everyone to maximize their ability as a player um, and leverage their strength. And so, you know, for him to, to play the game um, of someone else and, and try to create foot races and do all those sorts of things, when you look at Mason, you know, leveraging things like establishing body position all over the ice is, is a key to his success. And, you know, ending races before they become races is a good example. And so recognizing those patterns, recognizing you know, how do, how does a team defend? How does, how do teams in the national hockey league defend? And then how do we exploit that information to create time and space, to create soft ice, uh, to create advantage. And, and that's, you know, with him, what we're working on to adapt and make sure that it's not just a physical thing, it's combining it all and recognizing these are the things I need to do in order to, you know, increase my opportunity or create opportunity for more shot attempts. And we know he doesn't need a ton of them in order to put pucks in and, you know, we could go on for hours just about some of the different things in terms of driving up shooting percentage for a player like that in terms of his habits or his shooting motion or his ability to shoot off a pass, catch, et cetera. But, you know, we've only got so much time and maybe that that's a future conversation we have, but that's really the ABCs, sort of the process behind what we do with, with a, you know, a fellow like Mace. Well, Pat, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Always appreciate the insight in uh, the world of player development. Look forward to speaking with you next week and safe travels out there and um, look forward to uh, speaking to you again. No, really appreciate you, you having me. And uh, it's, it's always great to, to talk uh, hockey, especially about some of these, these good young players. They, they make it a lot of fun for sure. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these important messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in our regular segment. It's all mental. Uh, Dr. Willis, uh, as we continue to review your book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind, we are just finishing up Chapter 5, and Chapter 5 is practice. The topic in this segment is understand effort, overload, and recovery. Now, 
the first thing that comes to mind probably for most people is the physical aspect of understanding effort overload and recovery. But, you know, in some of the programs and classes I've taken in regards to brain chemistry and the effects of brain chemistry is particularly in active recovery and how it impacts not only your mental and emotional state, but how it affects your physical state. Um, how, challenging is it sometimes with your clientele to move them away from thinking it from a physical standpoint and have them look at these topics as a mental and emotional component so that they recognize that the body follows the brain and without taking care of this part it doesn't matter what your body's doing because there's no possible way that you can give understand what effort level you need to have in a game situation or in a practice or active recovery. And then obviously your overload and recovery from that standpoint. Can you discuss yeah, a little bit? You know, about it's that? funny because people don't realize how much energy the brain uses, right? You think, you know, take a 200 pound man who is, you know, fit and, and, and skating and doing all the things that the, their physical body that's been primed and, and trained to do. Um, you wouldn't think that 20% of all their energy is being used, you know, by their brain, three pounds of goo between their ears is using 20% of the, the body's energy when you're, you know, when you're engaged in something. So that's got to be taken into consideration. 20% is, is no small amount. And I think when you start thinking about the idea of overload, right, we can push our legs, we can push our endurance, but what's going on upstairs? What's going on between the ears? You know, if you're frustrated, if you're, if you're irritated, if you're anxious, if you're, if you're scared, whatever, those are all negative emotions, which, you know, can cause an increase in energy use for, for the brain. So it's adding to your stress level, you know, whereas you know, say positive emotions, you know, things like upbeat, enthusiastic and all that kind of stuff, those can be energy creation but yet your brain is still using that energy that overall energy for you know your ability to perform so that's part of what i want to try to impress upon them is that just because you you know you skated hard and you and you played a game or whatever that's just that's not all the energy that you burned it was the decision making it was the frustration the moments of you know anger all of those things also burned a massive amount of energy and so that's why you should have gone tired is, you know, you've got to calculate that into the overall, what I call overload aspect of your performance. Kevin, how important is, is it for a player to recognize uh, the feedback loop in terms of their, their body structure and how they, and how they, their energy levels uh, waver depending on how much they've uh, output they've had in the game? I think one of the first things I find is that because they don't appreciate how much energy they're using just by, you know, the decisions that they're making and stuff like that. Once I sort of share that with them, then they begin to understand why they're so tired, right? Why, why they're so wiped. You know, I run every day, coach. Why, why am I so tired? I, I, I hit the gym every day, coach. Why am I so exhausted right now? Well, because what have you done to sort of make your brain fit? What have you done to increase your speed of decision-making and stuff like that? And the answer is nothing. I've done zero, right? Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think that's important is in what I, what I do with athletes is we do talk about brain fitness and decision-making and stuff like that. But to answer your question, I think one of the things that we've talked about right at the very beginning, we talked about awareness, you know, self-awareness. 
And so I, I teach players really early on how to check in with themselves, how to begin to understand sort of what they're thinking and how they're feeling and how that all comes together to impact, you know, their performance, how it impacts the way they, their emotions sort of are displayed. You know, think about it. If you're super tired and you're absolutely white, you're, you're quick to anger, right? You're quick to frustration. And that's just because the body's white. And so it's a shortcut to just go ahead and lash out versus sort of compose yourself, you know, deal with the situation that takes energy, you know, that takes a frontal lobe uh, activation. And when you're wiped, when you're tired, that stuff sort of withers. So yeah, checking in with yourself, I think is a core aspect of any player's development. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brought to you by The Power Player, hockey player development software at ThePowerPlayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in his regular segment, It's All Mental, discussing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. Kevin, I want to ask you about, like, do you discuss with your clients in terms of what the brain chemistry does, which each chemical does. And so you're talking about, you know, overload and not having active recovery, like, you know, explain to them what cortisol does to you. And then what does like, if you have, you're running too much on adrenaline or, you know, and there are other, other chemicals like dopamine and what that does to you. And then understanding what you need to do to have that active recovery in terms of like, you know, some simple tools like box breathing, or, you know, those type of opportunities when things get stressful, this, these are the tools that you can use to just give yourself a couple minutes. Maybe it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or even a half an hour longer. Just like you have to have these active recoveries for your brain. Otherwise, that 20% could come 30%. And we all know what it's like when you're fizzing on adrenaline and cortisol, how incredibly inefficient you are as not only from a physical standpoint, but more importantly, from a mental and emotional standpoint. Yeah, that that's really well said because that, you know, do I get into talking about adrenaline versus cortisol and the effects on the body and all that kind of stuff? Very rarely. And that's just because, you know, I, that's when I notice their eyes are glazing over and I know I've lost them. Right. But what I do want to make sure that they understand is that recovery is an active process, right? Recovery isn't just being lazy. Recovery isn't just not working out. Recovery is part of your development, right? It's, it's the other half. It's the yin to the yang. It's the, it's the other half of, of effort is you've got to allow time to sort of recover. You don't drive your car, you know, around town for two weeks and never fill it up, right? You have to, you have to replenish the, the fuel so that you can drive it around next week. And that's all I'm saying is that stop thinking of, of recovery as being sort of, you know, what I'm not doing. What you're doing is you're recovering. That is a thing. That's a real thing. And so I, I just want to focus on that. How many folks have you met? And, and, and you guys can, you know, you talk to elite players and you talk to guys that are really, I mean, they're like targeted for the show. How many of these guys really appreciate downtime. How many of these guys really appreciate the fact that I I shouldn't be on the ice. I shouldn't be in the gym this week because, you know, we had a really, really rough weekend or or whatever. The the best players, they get that. They understand that they've made recovery part of their development. The wannabes, the guys that are struggling to get there and to be noticed and all that kind of stuff, 
they're, they're just thinking, no, there's no time to be tired. You know, I'll rest when I'm dead. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Yeah, I'll rest when I'm dead. Well, that's the wrong attitude because you know what, if you take that attitude, then you're going to run yourself right out of having an opportunity to really reach your full potential. It's one of the reasons for that, that there has to be a mental uh, readjustment in terms of how just, how you just think about yourself as a person. I remember in my 20s, I'll be honest, I was somebody who just blew, blew my body to pieces. I, I herniated discs. I uh, would never stop trying to squat as heavy as possible weight, just total spinal compression. And just I would not I would not go downstairs to my locker room unless I, I physically had to be carried. And I love the mentality, but the results were damaging. The results were very yeah. damaging, but I kept the mentality yeah. because I thought it was the only way to make it. So what, 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 sort of, um, what sort of concepts would you then try to bring into fruition here and explain to me, the, the 20-year-old version of me that's now broken, what concepts would you bring in to say, hey, there's a different way here? Yeah, well, what I do is I make the recovery as important part of their development as the actual activity. So in in other words, if you go to the gym and you want to tell me what your circuit was, you know, how many pounds you lifted, how many reps you did. That's great. I love that. Document it, right? Put it in your journal. That's awesome. But I also want to know, you know, how much uh, downtime, what, what I call getting horizontal, you know, how much sleep did you get this week? You know, when you, when you weren't at the gym, when you weren't on the ice, you know, were you able to sort of kick back and read a book or play some video games or watch some TV? You know, all of those things are giving your body a chance to to recover. And so I ask them, I literally ask them, I need you to document that because that sort of, you know, what gets measured gets done. And so if I'm asking somebody to log their downtime, to log their sleep uh, cycles to do that kind of thing, then all of a sudden they look up and say, whoa, okay, so maybe this is as important as the time I spend in the gym or the amount of time I'm on the ice. And and that's what I've had to do because, you, you know, I think the instinct is to do just what you described is to to work until I drop because that's, that's how I'm going to get to where I want to go. But the fact of the matter is there's, you know, too much of anything can be a bad thing. And that's what happens to a lot of these young players that don't understand the mental side of, of endurance. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these important messages. Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. 
a feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in our regular segment, It's All Mental, going through the list of his book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind. We're in Chapter 5, Practice. The next topic is Signs of Over and Under Training, which we touched on a little bit in the previous segment, but... I think from a mental, emotional standpoint, uh, I think you touched on a little bit, Dr. Willis, in terms of it's your reactions. I always find when I'm observing other people, you know when they're done is is their reactions or their behavior or their body language, facial expressions, do they change radically you know, at a certain point where you go, when you normally see them and you're like, okay, it's clear you're done. Like mentally you got nothing left. And my wife sees it in me. I see it in her when, you know, like we're done. Like you need to go take a break. I'll take care of the kids. You're done. Right. And then it doesn't matter if you're playing hockey or doing anything else when you're done mentally and emotionally. um, That's when you have to have that, active recovery about that overtraining. I mean, and it's, and mentally it's no different. Like, you know, ask Brad and I, when we're staring at like video of players for hours upon end, and then you're just done. Like you just, you can't, you're doing it, but you're like, you're almost on a automated system. So how much you actually, you know, processing and then how much of that are you missing because you've just done it for so long you got nothing left so talk a little bit about that you know that over under training and trying to find that balance mentally and emotionally i tell you you know when you get to the higher levels the difference between the the best player and the next best player is is so tiny right a lot of times it comes down to what's between their ears right it's it's sort of their mental makeup and, you know, that's one area that I'm so fascinated with. And I love this topic of, you know, over and under training when it comes to physical side, you know, you know, it, right. Your, your legs are, are, are seizing up um, your body sore. You know, you, you literally just feel like you can't take another stride or lift, uh, take another rep. Um, you, you, you're easy to get sick. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're sore. You aren't eating like you were. So that's from the physical side that, Hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm fried, but from a mental side, what, what, what do we, should we pay attention to? A lot of times it's emotional, right? I mentioned how 20% of our body's energy is, is going to, you know, run that, that three pound uh, gob of glue between your ears. Well, what happens when I'm out of energy or I'm really running low 
and that brain is needing 20%. Well, it doesn't get 20%. It can't have 20%. And, and, you know, oddly enough, the, the newer parts of the brain, like the, the frontal cortex, that decision-making and, and all that kind of stuff happens is the first to sort of be denied um, that extra energy. And so decision-making goes out the window, emotional, you know, uh, issues come up, you know, you're quick to anger, you're moody, um, you're bored, you're frustrated at everything. Uh, it's really, really hard to focus. You know, I, I don't have no motivation to get up and go, not because my body is wiped, which it probably is, but because it, there's just nothing there in the tank. I am literally mentally drained. And so I think <clears throat> those are things that we, it's hard to pay attention to in the moment because we get caught up in expectations. We get caught up in social approval but at the end of the day, that that's sort of the warning signs I have is, is moodiness, um, quick to anger, quick emotional swings, you know, struggle with emotional regulation, that kind of stuff. That that's telling me that somebody is is really overdoing it when it comes to you know their their overall performance. They need to sort of sit back, take a chill pill, and let their body catch up. Moving from mental agitation to to something that uh, occurred uh, with myself was um was guilt i always felt guilty if i didn't put in the maximum effort every time even if my body and mind uh said not today um is there are there there tricks that you use or mental reframing that you should use uh, that you use i think that's a better word for mental mental reframing that allows an athlete who is feeling guilty to as you say take a step back and reassess so that they do they do allow their bodies to recover yeah those kind of habits are really hard to sort of, you know, change, you know, these, these are thought habits, you know, that I have to work hard. I can't ever let up. I got to go, 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 go. And then I sit down and tell them, no, no, no. You have to understand that recovery is part of your development. You have to give yourself time. You have to take a break. You have to sit down and do nothing. You know, that's hard for somebody to, to really grasp for one, right. They're sitting there looking at me like, seriously, what are you saying? You know, how, how wrong can you be? Right. But then number two is, that to actually do it, right? So not only is the disbelief sort of holding them back, but to actually do it. And I think part of the thing, you know, I'm really fascinated with the ability to to train the brain like we train the body. You know, this idea of brain fitness, this idea of creating, you know, drills that that fatigue the brain so that, and just like the body, the more we fatigue it, the stronger it gets when it comes back, right? So we fatigue the brain and next time I'm less likely to, to feel tired. And this is a whole area that, you know, I don't think we have time to get into, but brain fitness training, brain endurance training is a real thing. And when you separate, you know, the, the Olympic uh, world-class athletes from everybody else, a lot of times that's the difference is that they've gone beyond, you know, we've done everything we can to make them as fast or as, strong or whatever as we can now we're we're playing with the brain and the ability for the brain to say hey listen you've got a little bit more in the tank let's let's go a little bit further because see that's why people get tired that's why people back off not because their muscles are gone not because they're out of wind or because their heart rate is up it's because their brain is saying dude back off back off you're going to kill yourself right so their brain shuts them down and they think oh no i've just completely fatigued myself i can't do this but when in fact they could, if they had to, right, that people lifting the cars and stuff like that off of, you know, accident victims, we know it happens, 
where did that come from? It's because our brain is sort of, it's like a, it's like a thermostat sort of keeping us back, holding us back so that we don't literally kill ourselves. You know, and, and the conversation that you guys were having is, is fascinating. And I'm just curious to see what's going to happen in the future, particularly because obviously all three of us are focused on hockey and whether there's going to be an integration in the future of training. Like when you talk about, we talk about player development and we've been talking with Pat Malloy about, you know, the physical aspects of it. And he does get into some of the other aspects too, but like integrated, how important it is to like, no, we have to train our kit, train these young players when we draft them for training for their brain to understand. And I think really the biggest factor to me, especially having these conversations with you, Dr. Willis, and obviously with you, Brad, is about them understanding active recovery and how I think how critical that is to maintain proper brain chemistry so that you're not, you know, taxing certain brain chemistry. So you're not fully on one and the other, and then really over, you know, doing it on in another time. So you're always in the extreme and not having that balance because the brain doesn't function well on long periods of time of, you know, extreme, um, you know, chemical in one area or the other. So it's just, the body's not meant for that. But uh, once again, uh, Dr. Willis, thank you. For, thank you very much for coming on our show. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, as well to our guests, Jim Benning, general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, Mark Yates from Instat for our, our profile, Pat Malloy for our player development segment, Jed Ortmeyer from the New York Rangers uh, player development. And uh, for Dr. Kevin Willis as well, I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen. It's another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio, and we will see you at the rink. Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that'll help them improve in specific areas, and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.